Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, July 25th, 2019, from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. On today's show, NFL training camps have begun, and we have an update on the Julian Edelman thumb injury. I will give you that also here in Boston. We get set for a huge four-game series with the Yankees at Fenway, which begins tonight on this Thursday, July 25th. I'll get into that as the Major League Baseball trade deadline gets closer. That is the July 31st trade deadline, and this year the only, it's the first and only trade deadline. You will not get any non-waiver and then waiver deadline at the end of August. It's just this one deadline, July 31st, and it's next Wednesday, so uh, I'll get into some baseball today. And an interesting story. I get it. We're kind of there's not too, there's not all that much going on in the world of sports right now as we just kind of ease our way into training camp, see some of those storylines play out, uh, and kind of just wait for the regular season to get here. And it'll be here before you know it. Once training camps begin, you get the preseason games. Next thing you know, we're talking about week one and looking at the spreads for week one. But uh, because of that, there's really not too much going on, and one of the top headlines, I think, because of that is a headline that was made by Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, he is very upset with the Anthony Davis trade. Anthony Davis was traded to the Lakers, and uh, I mean, you could roll your eyes at that and say, well, obviously he's upset with the Anthony Davis trade. He's the coach of the now rival Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Lakers look like they are going to certainly compete with Golden State beginning as soon as this year. So obviously Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, would be upset with the Anthony Davis trade. But uh, he's not just upset with the trade itself. He's upset with the way it all played out. I will react to what he said, and I'll tell you why Steve Kerr is 100% wrong with what he says about the Anthony Davis trade. All of it today presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C. Football is almost here, so sign up right now and scratch that fantasy itch before the NFL season begins. They have baseball, they have golf, MMA, and even tennis. DraftKings, they, they can take care of all your daily fantasy needs. Took me a second to spit that out. DraftKings can take care of all your daily fantasy needs. And again, I can take care of you by giving you a promo code so you can play for free with your first deposit when you sign up using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. So since we spit out that DraftKings read, I can get into the good stuff. Welcome to the show. How about those UFOs in Massachusetts last night on Wednesday night? Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. I, I retweeted a couple videos. I think I quote-tweeted one using alien emojis. Were they UFOs? What was that in the sky in Massachusetts last night? What's going on there? I mean, that, that was not a plane. That was, I mean, maybe it was somebody just messing around with some device that they have, but there were people in all different parts of Massachusetts that were tweeting that they saw it, and there's a couple videos. Was that a UFO last night in Massachusetts? I've been really 
you know, you go down the rabbit hole on YouTube. Whenever you see a, a hot topic, especially like this, where there's some controversy, there's some uh, conspiracies, right? Uh, I love a good conspiracy, as you know, if you listen to me. And the UFO conspiracy is playing out right now. When you go on YouTube, you can easily go down that rabbit hole. You can fall down that rabbit hole. And next thing you know, it's three in the morning and, and you're like, what happened? I started looking at my phone at eight o'clock tonight, right after dinner. And wow, now I have to wake up in four hours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, that's the type of rabbit hole you can fall down with UFOs. But if you, if you did not watch the Bob Lazar documentary, I don't know, have I talked about this on this show? I have a couple different shows. So I, I, I've, I've, I don't know if I've talked about it on this show. I've watched the Bob Lazard documentary. And the documentary itself was kind of all over the place. I think they tried a little too hard to... They tried a little too hard to be creative. And so it made it a little confusing with all the creativity they try to use. And, and when they could have just started from the beginning and went all the way through... And just giving us the exact timeline of events. So I would say, what, definitely watch the Bob Lazard documentary. He says he worked at uh, a part of Area 51. Not exactly Area 51 itself, but uh, something similar that was in the vicinity. And uh, he worked on reverse engineering uh, to these, what, eight spacecrafts that, w- that were there. This is back in the 80s. And he talks about the technology that these spacecrafts use to get in the sky. And the point of the documentary was to find out if he was telling the truth. How do you find out if he's telling the truth? He's been telling the same story for over 20 years. And there is definitely some things that you have to call into question. <laughs> there's no question about that. But there's also some stuff that definitely gets you thinking. Like, wow, he was telling the truth about this. He was telling the truth about that. Is he stretching the truth with some other stuff? Is he taking those truths that ended up turning out to be true and fabricating all the other good stuff, knowing that we would all lose our minds over that? It's for you to obviously decide whether or not he's telling the truth. But uh, watch the documentary and then listen and watch Joe Rogan. Bob Lazar was on with Joe Rogan. I highly recommend. In fact, the order I watched it was I... I watched Joe Rogan interview Bob Lazar, and then I watched the documentary, and then I thought, well, the Rogan stuff was better than the documentary, but there's still some questions I have after watching both Rogan and then the documentary, so I went back and watched Rogan again. It's that good. It's all that good, and if you are interested at all in UFOs, this is what you need to do. After you listen to me, of course. After you listen to me, Joe Rogan isn't pumping out my show. I don't expect him to, but um, I'm giving him the plug and I'm giving this Netflix documentary. It's on Netflix too, by the way, the Bob Lazar documentary. Just type in search Bob Lazar. You don't even need to search. It's probably on the top, right? When you turn on Netflix, it's going to be on the top. But last night here in Massachusetts, people tweeting out videos of, of something flying in the sky, flying around, zipping around in the sky. Now, it's tough to to know if these videos are, are sped up or... I, it, 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 look, even people's videos like that on social media, you cannot believe everything you see on the internet, right? You can't. But, um, uh, right now UFOs seem to be a hot topic. <laughs> and you might be asking, well, Danny, do you believe Bob Lazar? Do you believe everything he said about working on the reverse engineering for the technology that 
help these spacecrafts fly into the sky? Do you even believe there were spacecrafts? Do you even believe he worked on anything? Uh, I do believe he worked on something. I believe he's. T- I believe this dude Bob Lazar's telling the truth about working on something. Where I'm skeptical of it all is why is he talking about it again? And he can say all he wants, like, "Oh, you didn't make any." Is the thing he said he didn't make any money off it or something? That's bullshit. That is bullshit. I don't care if it was cash under the table. He made money off this, off this documentary. I don't care what he says. You can't believe that. So, like, why is he coming out with this stuff again? That's the that's the thing that I question because a lot of the Bob Lazar documentary is, especially coming from his wife and even coming from the guy who created the documentary, is that, oh, Bob doesn't want to talk about this anymore. Bob wants nothing to do with this. This has ruined his life. This has done more bad for his life than good. So why is he talking about it? So why are we doing the documentary and then why is he going on Joe Rogan? That's the part that makes me skeptical. Right? You know, because the stories he, he tells... You know, I get it. They wiped his, or if you believe him, they wiped out his identity at a couple of the schools he studied at. Like, you, you can't even find records of him studying at those schools. Uh, but then there were a couple places you couldn't really find records at, at first of where he said he worked before he went to Area 51 or S4, whatever it was called, the, the section of Area 51 that he worked at. These places that he said he worked previously, at first there was no record of him there, and then they ended up finding the record of him, and it does make it look like somebody attempted to wipe him out and then didn't finish the job. Didn't wipe him out entirely. So he went back there, he, he I guess, showed the guy who was filming the documentary, you know, this is where I worked, he knew people there, nobody wanted to talk about it. But my, I'm skeptical, why does Bob Lazar want to talk about it? And, and... You know, the message that he continues to pound home is that he's upset that, you know, this he was working on this special crazy technology back in the 80s. How is it that in 2019, the government has still not let us know about this technology? He's upset with that. He wants to get that out one more time. They have this technology and they're hiding it from us, right? The, the, the technology exists, and if we, if, we know, if we knew about this technology, if we had this technology, it would wipe out almost every energy-producing industry. Uh, it would, you know, Bob Lazar thinks that it would, it would help society fix a lot of things. I don't know. I think that the idea of, like, if they do know that, that, if this is true, that what Bob Lazar is saying and all this stuff actually exists and, um, you know, there is something else out there, right? There's something else out there. All right, you could talk about the energy and the technology and all that. And maybe it would help a lot of things and a lot of people. But um, I, I think a lot of people lose jobs, as it is mentioned. It would wipe out uh, <laughs> most, if not all, energy-producing industries. Um, but I think really just the sanity of society what would happen to that? <laughs> and and you talk about religious beliefs? Like, what do you do with religion if all this stuff proves to be true? Um, and really, just what about the safety of everybody on this planet? Like, people would just kind of lose their minds, wouldn't they? I, 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 I don't know what to believe. I will say that I definitely believe Bob Lazar worked on something. 
in that area, in that field, and it was supposed to stay sort of quiet, whatever they were working on. I'm just not convinced that what he was working on was as crazy as he's making it sound. There's no proof of that. There never will be, I don't think. Unless some way, somehow, somebody decides to say, you know what? We have to tell the people what we've, what we've been hiding for the last 30 years. I, I don't know. But um, you know, I like a good conspiracy. I like a good UFO alien conspiracy. And if you like a good UFO alien consp- conspiracy, you can watch those videos that were on Twitter last night, and then you can go to Netflix and watch the Bob Lazar documentary, and uh, you're an adult, you can make up your own mind as to what you believe, what you don't believe. And I'm, I'm skeptic, what, what, the, the one thing that's really preventing me from saying he's telling the truth about everything is that he's out talking about it again. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Like, if this, if this ended up ruining your life so much, if... If people were giving you such a hard time, would this be the best thing for you to do? Why don't you just go away? You should just go away. But now you're popping into the limelight again. Into the spotlight. That can't be good for you. (laughs) You mean to tell me he went on Rogan, did the Netflix documentary, and, you know, I didn't know who this guy was, but now everybody and their mother's talking about him again. I mean... It's kind of what he wanted, right? Like, what does he actually want? What is he accomplishing by doing this again? Well, maybe he's making some money. Maybe he likes the spotlight. But when he sits there and goes, I don't don't want to talk about this. It's like, well, dude, you're fucking talking about it. So what are you, what are you talking about? Like, this is easy for you to not talk about. It's don't agree to a documentary and just live your life somewhere else. Do what you're doing. I would never know about you. So the fact that he is doing this right now while saying he never wanted to do this, he didn't like the um, the publicity, it's like, well, I, I can't go 100% buying into all your stories. If you're telling me you don't want the publicity, you don't want to be in the spotlight, and yet you're coming out of the fucking woodwork putting yourself in the spotlight. So that's the only thing that's preventing me, really, from believing his entire story. But I do think he worked on something that was probably pretty secretive. I just don't know if it was UFO shit, right? I don't know if it was UFO, UFO shit, but, uh, you know, maybe there's, you know, maybe, maybe there's a, a second one coming out. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll see more UFOs and flying around Massachusetts. I, I posted, well, I, I retweeted someone's video on Twitter last night. Uh, got me a little fight up, made it a little tougher to fall asleep. Last night after seeing something like that, certainly. But, um, you know, I did fall asleep. I woke up this morning and I said to myself, it is training camp in the National Football League. So let's get into it. We got an update on Julian Edelman. I told you on Monday, the initial news was Julian Edelman over the weekend was seen at a football camp that he runs. This past weekend, he was seen, he runs a football camp and he was seen with a brace on his left thumb. And... It, we were we didn't know we didn't really know much about it. We we heard the report that he would miss three weeks, right? It would take three weeks to to heal, whatever it was, and three weeks would have him out the first couple weeks of training camp and missing the first preseason game on Thursday, August eighth, which is what two weeks from today, 
and and maybe he'd be ready for the second preseason game. Well, the 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 news today on this Thursday, July 25th, coming from Ian Rappaport, NFL Network. He's reporting that Julian Edelman has a broken thumb because that's another part. We didn't know if it was a break, if it was a sprain, if it was minor. We didn't know what it was. He had the brace on, but according to Ian Rappaport, Julian Edelman broke his thumb. It's broken, and he broke it playing catch. And he may miss the entire preseason. And that's a long time because that's the whole month of August. And it's July 25th. So you're now talking about more than three weeks. You're talking about over a month he's going to miss. And the, the Patriots' week one game is Sunday, September 8th. As you know, it's nationally televised Sunday Night Football at Gillette Stadium on NBC, and they're going to put that Super Bowl championship banner up, and the Pittsburgh Steelers will be in the building. They'll be in the building without Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell. Um, But week one, I mean, I don't think Edelman is going to miss week one, but the report today is that he's going to miss the entire preseason. And I don't know that my thoughts about this injury change. I'm I'm, going to assume that he broke the thumb playing catch with Tom Brady. Now, they don't know that. They don't know who threw him the football. They say he broke it playing catch. I'm going to say he broke it playing catch with Tom Brady. Right? Who else is he playing catch with? Who else is Edelman playing catch with other than Tom Brady? So Brady probably broke his thumb. (laughs) Not on purpose, obviously, but Brady throwing absolute seeds to Julian Edelman. And, um, you know, you bring up Brady. You bring up him throwing seeds to Edelman. You see that he's out at training camp. You know, he looks good. He says he feels good. And the story this week has been surrounding Tom Brady's contract. And uh, I wrote a column in the Boston Metro this week about Brady's contract and how he's entering the final year of his contract. And uh, I'm basically siding with Brady. Now, I don't even know, I have to, you know, I, I think we do need to pump the brakes on, and this is what we like to do, we like to, we like to exaggerate everything that happens with the Patriots, we saw it with that Seth Wickersham report, where there was just so much turmoil, and there was a palpable sense in the room that the Patriot dynasty was falling apart, we, we exaggerate everything, you know, do Brady and Belichick have dis- disagreements? Sure. Are they disagreements that should be turning into front-page news? No. But when you get absolute nerd reporters who have never been in in any type of uh, confrontation in their life, the minute they hear about a confrontation, they're like, oh, they're mad at each other? Oh, this is huge. It's over. Brady Belichick, they're mad. They hate each other. They're going to fight each other. Oh, it's over. The dynasty's dead. You know, they exaggerate everything, right? They don't know what's going on. It's It's a... It's a confrontation, and confrontation's probably strong. Conflict. And it happens. But what we like to do is we like to take that, maybe a disagreement or conflict, and we turn it into this big thing, especially with the Patriots, because I believe a lot of people in the national media, especially, they want to see the Patriots dynasty die. Like, they want... They want the drama to explode to a point where we're talking about Belichick storms off, Brady demands a trade. They want that shit. That's what people want. And because they want it, it turns into a mindset that brainwashes them. So the minute they hear anything negative inside the Patriots locker room or inside Gillette Stadium, they turn that little negative into this huge issue. So should we turn the Tom Brady contract situation into a situation? Well, 
I think it's already been turned into a situation. It's been reported. It's been discussed. It's been talked about. And it's been talked about a lot this week. I had to write a column on it, mainly because I do have... I, I am taking a stance on this. But I will admit that my stance on it is based on something I really don't know. And what I really don't know is if there's even any type of conflict with Brady's contract right now. This could be as simple as, let's get training camp underway, we'll talk next week, and we'll figure something out. And we both know we're going to figure something out, right? We're in no, you know, no one's in any rush. We know we're going to get something done before the regular season. Does it need to be today? Did it need to be yesterday? It can be next weekend. You know, there's a couple days off here that we'll sprinkle in in training camp. And those days off, Tom, you'll be in the building. Get Don Yee in here. Um, and we'll work, you know, we'll get uh, Mr. Kraft in. We'll work something out. Like, it could be as simple as that. It could be. I admit. I'm taking a stance on something that I, I don't know there needs to be a stance taken on because I don't know if there's any real conflict here with Brady's contract. But the fact of the matter is, right now, Tom Brady... Turning 42 years old in August, he is entering the final year of his deal. And I will say this, if they don't give Tom Brady a new contract, if they cannot agree on a new contract before week one, then I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've seen with this organization in a long time. So my advice to the Patriots... And again, I don't know that they need my advice or are looking for my advice or looking for anyone's advice or needing anyone's advice because this might not even be an issue and they might get something done and there might be a contract signed later today by the time you even listen to the show. I don't know. But if there is a situation in which maybe the Patriots uh, are playing some type of hardball with Brady, because that's what we assume, right? We assume it's not the other way. It's not like Tom Brady is going... It's not like Tom Brady is saying, but put it this way, Tom Brady entering the final year of his contract. He doesn't have a, an extension yet. Yet. What's the reason for that? It's not because Tom Brady says, nah, I, I don't want to sign anything because I'm out. And when he says I'm out, I don't mean like, you know, he's going to, I don't think he's going to demand a trade. I don't think he is going to look to get out and play somewhere else next year and test the free agent market. Like, I don't think Tom Brady is doing that. I just don't think that's happening. And he's certainly not saying, well, I might call it quits after this season. Because if even if you are thinking of calling it quits, you still sign, you still sign a new contract. You, know, you don't let potential retirement get in the way of a contract extension. Because let's say you change your mind, right? Let's say you change your mind. Well, if you don't have a contract, then maybe you lose a little leverage. That Brady, I'm assuming, wants the contract signed and wants it signed and wants the extension signed before week one. That's only logical. I, I don't think it's it's the, the other way. Brady wants contract extension. That's the logical assumption here. The other logical assumption is that if he doesn't have that contract extension before week one that he obviously would want, why doesn't he? Well, you would assume that the logical thing there is that Belichick is being Belichick and the Patriots are being the Patriots, and you know how Belichick handles business for the Patriots, which is, it's a value play. And maybe the value Belichick is looking at right now is that Brady is turning 42 in August, is that you never know what could happen with potential injury, 
And maybe Belichick wants to see how this thing plays out with Brady at the age of 42. Another championship under his belt. What's the motivation like? And maybe Belichick is playing hardball for the purpose of motivation for Tom Brady. That would be the logical assumption that Belichick is playing hardball with Tom Brady. And to that I say, to that logical assumption, I say that's ridiculous. So my stance on the Tom Brady contract situation is simple. Just give Tom Brady what he wants. That's it. That's it. 99% of the time, and I wrote this in my column for the Metro, 99% of the time I agree with Bill Belichick and the way he handles business. Because it's, it's the Patriot way for a reason. And the Patriot way is nobody in this locker room is better than anybody else. And, you know, it's a val- and when it comes to contracts, it's a value play. It's it's a next man up approach. There's a sign on the wall that says, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be. So if you don't want this value contract, which is what you're worth on the market, if you don't, we're not going above that at all. If you don't want this contract, if you don't want to be here, then you don't have to be and we'll replace you. Everybody is replaceable, right? That's like the, the Patriot way. And 99% of the time, I am, in f- I am in agreement with Bill Belichick on the way he handles business because, let's face it, it's worked. It's worked. And every time we say it's not going to work this time, what happens? It works this time. Every time we say it, oh, this guy's gone. Oh, they're going to, you know, th- that's why I, I, anything that Belichick does, like in Bill We Trust, when people knock that mindset from a fan, whether you're a fan or a media member who's taken a side and given analysis, Whenever somebody knocks you for having the in Bill we trust and Bill Belichick we trust mindset, they they sound like an idiot because why wouldn't you trust Bill Belichick at this point? Every single time. Think about everything. And I mean, we we don't have enough time on the show to go over everything. But I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of sitting here over the years at times, eight years ago, ten years ago, going, "Uh, you know what, this is the one that's going to hurt them. (laughs) that <laughs> uh, they, they didn't they didn't want to give him the extra couple million dollars they're going to lose him this is a tough loss they are not they are going to have a tough time recovering from this loss they are they're going to have a tough time replacing him right every single time i've been we've been wrong whenever we've questioned that so i've stopped questioning it but there's this little 1% of this one situation, in this one moment, at this stage of the game, with this Patriots dynasty, in which the window is only getting smaller as the years go on, the 1% here that I disagree with Belichick is that he should not be playing hardball with Tom Brady. He should not be handling his business with Brady right now the way he usually handles his business for a couple reasons. One, like I said, the window's closing, right? And so, since you committed to Brady, you're all in with him. Brady's at the helm. Whenever this ship goes down, you are going down with Brady at the helm. And there's nothing you can or should do about that. Like, that's it. This is how it's going down. With Brady. You're you're going down with Hoya? Or Etling? Or Stidham? Whoever these other quarterbacks are? uh -uh, uh -uh. I don't think so. You're going down with Brady. Brady's your guy. You committed to Brady. Like, that's it. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. I wanted the Patriots to commit to Brady. But when you do commit to Brady, you also commit to a window that will get smaller and smaller as the years go on. 
it will. It will. It's going to be a sad day when that's out, when this window is completely closed in the Tom Brady era. But the Tom Brady era exists, and it's it continues to go. And does it just have one year left? You better fucking hope not if you're the Patriots. Because the other part of this thing is that you don't have anyone else. I just told you. Hoya, Etling, Stidham. Right? Like, these, please. 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 When you traded Garoppolo, when you traded Garoppolo, which I'm, uh, I told you they had to do. They had to do it. They made the right move trading Garoppolo. We could talk about what they got in return. That's not what this conversation's about. Even though I still will tell you that I don't think what what they got in return for him was was all that bad. Was as bad as everybody get get you know gets worked up about. But this isn't about the return. This is about just the fact that they traded Garoppolo. The minute you trade Garoppolo, you say to yourself as an organization, "That's it. We've committed to Brady. This era, this dynasty, this dynasty is only going to continue as long as Tom Brady is here." And what? You just want that to be one more season? No, you don't. You want that to be a couple more years. So just give Brady what he wants. Just what's holding you back? What's stopping you? What is stopping you from just saying to Tom Brady this afternoon after practice, bringing him in, getting him in the room, getting Donnie on the phone and say, guys, what do you want? I know I usually play games. I know we do things a certain way around here. But, you know, this is a special situation and a situation that we're never going to be in again. And we, this is a once-in-a-lifetime dynasty-type situation. There's no, it's not like we have any other options anyways. It's not like as a Patriots organization we have any leverage. Even though most of the time this is next man up and everybody is replaceable, the reality is this is a different, special, once-in-a-lifetime situation. So we're going to handle it as such. Tom, what do you want? We will give it to you. Why can't the Patriots just do that with Tom Brady right now? Just give him what he wants. That's what I want them to do. Just give Tom Brady what he wants. Get the extension. Sign it. You know, if there's an injury, there's an injury. You can't look at it like that. You could say that about every guy in the NFL. Well, what if he gets injured? Training camp begins this week. We could go up and down the list. What if he gets injured? We could play that game with a fucking assistant coach running up and down the sideline. Don't give me the what. Don't play the what if he gets injured game. You could say it about everybody. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's just give Tom Brady what he wants. What is stopping them from doing that? What's stopping them from doing that? Oh, the salary cap. Look, get creative. You can't get creative and still give Brady what he wants and figure out a salary cap situation that's going to suit your needs. Of course you can. Of course you can. Stop. Don't play hardball with... And I I don't know that they're playing hardball. It's, it's the assumption that we make, which seems like the most logical one. Like I said, they could just be sitting there going, we know we're going to get something done. We'll talk this weekend. They could be. But if it's... If it's what we're used to, which is Belichick playing hardball, the Patriot way winning out, value play, doing business the way we know he's doing business, then my you know my advice or my stance that I'm taking is, or my message to Belichick and the Patriots and Robert Kraft is just, guys, come on, you, this, pay Brady, give Brady what he wants, give him what he wants, 
You you can realistically give Tom Brady whatever he wants and everything else will be fine and business as usual. Nobody in that locker room is going to go, well, you give Tom Brady what he wants, why can't you give me what he wants? If somebody says that, you kick him in the ass, you throw his stuff out the door, and you say, I don't care how good he is, you say, see you later. See you later. Don't bring that shit here. Like, but nobody's going to do that because everybody in that room understands the way the Patriots do business and they understand the uniqueness of this situation with Brady. 42, final year of his deal. Very small window here to win a couple more times. If that, do what you can to win as much as you can right now with Tom Brady. And what that means is that you give Tom Brady what he wants right now as he enters the final year of his contract. And you say, you want an extension? What do you want? We'll give it to you. All right, we'll give it to you. Maybe we do need to get creative with some incentives, but those incentives are going to be, you know, five passes completed <laughs> every every game, right? Yeah. At least five passes completed every game. Like something simple, right? Like uh, get creative. Give Tom Brady what he wants. That, that's my advice. Uh, even if he is breaking the thumbs of his fellow receivers before training camp even begins, which is kind of the other logical assumption that Edelman broke his thumb playing catch and Tom Brady's the one that threw him in the football. But uh, anyways, I think the Patriots will be overly cautious with the Edelman thing, and they might as well be. Preseason football is preseason football. Edelman was just fine last year. He missed the first four games of the regular season with a PED suspension. He ends up being the Super Bowl MVP. So, uh, I think he'll be fine if he misses four preseason games. How many would he even be playing in anyways if he was healthy? Right? Maybe pots of two? Maybe pots of three? Preseason football is, you know, it's not that fun to watch. And it's not all that serious. So, the Patriots and Edelman will be fine. But training camp, it is underway. And I just wanted to take a look at the odds this morning to win the Super Bowl. To win Super Bowl 54. What's it, in Miami this year? Is it Miami? Pa- Miami is a good spot for Patriots fans to go uh, in the regular season. They're playing early in Miami this year. Week 2, September 15th. So in Miami in September, if you're looking to make that trip, it's early. Um, I think ideally you'd want that baby in December. November or December, so that when everybody is freezing their ass off here in New England, you can head down to Miami for three or four nights, right? That's the ideal situation. Well, you're not going to get that. You're going to have to leave probably some beautiful September fall weather here in New England to go to Miami. Again, Miami, not a bad place, but that is taking place early, week two. Um, But the Super Bowl's in Miami. So maybe the Patriots will be back in that. Well, the odds here as training camp begins. At the beginning of training camp, the Patriots are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Plus 600. They're the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Kansas City, second best odds, plus 800. Uh, Then you got the Rams and the Saints tied for the third best odds, plus 1,000. Then you got the Bears, the Browns, and the Colts, plus 1,400. How about the Browns, huh? Right there. <laughs> Look at that. Look at Cleveland. Wow. The Cleveland Browns. People put money on 
Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., though I will say this about Cleveland, man, just go out and do it. Stop telling us about it. Odell Beckham Jr., what was he in, a GQ magazine? Right? I get it. He wants to have fun. He doesn't want to be held back from having fun. And and Cleveland, you know, they want to be a fun, exciting team, and they look like they can be that and, and are capable of being that. But you're only fun and exciting at the end of the day if you win in this league. And if you're Cleveland, you got to still go out and show it. There's been a lot of talk, a lot of feel-good moments you had last year with this team. I pumped them up. I told you that they were must-see TV. What do they got, four national TV games this year? I think that's one less than the team that is the most, which is, I think, the Patriots, who have five. I could be getting that wrong, but I believe Cleveland's got a good amount of national TV games this year. And so people are buying into them. They're plus 1,400. One, two, three, four. It's the fourth best odds to win the Super Bowl. To win the Super Bowl. So, I guess the only thing I would say to them is, at some point, you got to walk the walk. And the only concern I would have if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan is that there just seems to be a little too much talk with those guys right now. Little too much talk. That's it. And a lot of talk with high expectations. Well, that is not always the best formula for success. In this league. It's not. It's not. And you can be humbled real fucking quick in this league if you can't walk the walk. Right? And the minute... See, the problem with all the talk and the high expectations and the fourth best odds to win the Super Bowl, when you really haven't done shit, right? You haven't done anything. The problem with all that stuff is the minute things do go a little downhill, how do you respond to that? knowing the pressure that is then on you to turn it around quickly. To turn it around quickly. You could be humbled real fucking quick in this league. And I, the only concern I would have if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan is that um, it's not going to be a perfect season. So how do you respond to adversity? And there's going to be a lot of pressure on you. Right now, you listen to them talk, you think they're the best team in the league. You think they're the team that just won the Super Bowl last year. You'd think they were the New England Patriots. <laughs> The way they read off their resume. But um, they have the, they could be an exciting team. But I just think they need to tone it down a little bit. I'm hearing way too much talk from them. At least, you know, you, you, you see it, you read it. Um, there's a lot. And that doesn't always work out in your favor. In fact, more often than not, I feel like it does not work out in your favor. But it uh, really all comes down to what Baker Mayfield's going to be. And does Odell Beckham Jr. become some type of distraction when the going does get tough, if they hit a bump in the road? What is How is Odell Beckham Jr. going to react? And what's that relationship going to be like with him and Baker Mayfield? But uh, all that stuff aside, I think Cleveland is going to have an exciting year. Um, I, I am a big Baker Mayfield fan, right? I told you I, around the draft, like, I would have loved to see the Patriots trade up and get him. You know, if we were going to sit here and talk about the the heir to the Iron Throne here in New England, you know, Baker Mayfield, I, I would have loved to have seen them, him be that guy. Sit on the sideline for a couple years behind Tom Brady, especially. But um, Cleveland, they're going to be a good team. They are. And they get the fourth best odds. Tied with Chicago and Indy at plus 14. 
500. So the Patriots are the favorite to win the Super Bowl as training camp begins. And any storyline that we have that's worth talking about in the NFL during training camp, you know I will react to it. But uh, outside of that, you know, we are just a couple days away, or I should say less than a week away, from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which is going to be next Wednesday, July 31st. And if you're the Red Sox, you are... I mean, in my opinion, the Red Sox need to buy. Like, under no under no circumstance do you sell. Well, I guess if you get swept by the Yankees in this four-game series that begins tonight at Fenway, depending on where you stand in the wild card hunt at that point, right now, as, as of this Thursday morning, July 25th, the Red Sox, who just won two of three in Tampa Bay the last couple days, uh, the Red Sox won the first two games. Good news is Chris Sale looks like he's getting it back. Um, the third game was a day game yesterday on Wednesday. You had the controversy with the holdup where the Red Sox protested the game and it took forever for Tampa Bay to make their substitutions because Alex Cora called into question a couple of Tampa Bay's substitutions in the eighth inning. And it was a long-ass delay. The umpires didn't know what to do. They didn't know the rules, so they had to go to New York, put on the headsets, and they had to figure out what was right and what was wrong, what Tampa Bay could do and what he couldn't do, what their manager, Kevin Cash, could do and couldn't do with regards to substitutions, moving the DH around. (laughs) It was a shit show, right? It was a shit show. Now, anybody who was overly upset at that situation, like, there are people that don't like how the game is slowed down. Okay, and that's okay. You can you cannot like how the game gets slowed down, right? You cannot like a certain pitcher who takes forever. You can call him a human rain delay if you want. You can be upset with that. But then there are people in this town who got so upset with those long delays in the eighth inning yesterday that I'm looking at them going, you can't really be this mad about it. I don't like that we have to wait around and see what's going on. But the one thing I will say about it is, I don't know that I've ever witnessed something like that before. So there was part of me that was curious to know, I wanted them to get it right. I was like, well, you know, what is going on? I, I, you know, I'm not saying I liked the long delay or how long that delay was, but I certainly wasn't as upset as some people were. And I just think if you're overly upset where you would have a radio show and you would be watching this on TV yesterday in Boston and you would be flipping out You're only flipping out for the purpose of your own show and you want a video clip on social media of just how mad you got and just how upset this is making you and just how much you hate baseball. And this is just another example of how much you hate baseball and it should be seven innings and we should have robot umpires. In fact, while we're at it, let's just make it five innings. These people that are flipping out like that, there's no way this makes you that mad. There's no way yesterday you were that angry and upset over this delay in the eighth inning. There's no way. You just said nothing else to talk about. It made me want the delay to be even longer. <laughs> like, I, I didn't I didn't like the delay. Didn't ruin my afternoon, though. Like, and, and, you know, it's just sometimes it's, it's fake rage. We see a lot of fake, phony rage out there. I try to battle against that. Like, there are things that make me unhappy. Um, but you got to put shit into perspective. Like, 
I the whole baseball argument about how slow it is, you can't watch it, everything frustrates you. Sometimes people get so upset about it where I'm like, man, this you can't really feel that way. Can you? Like, can can this make really? Here's what you do. Change the channel. Don't watch it. Oh, you get a talk show? Talk about something else. You can't find something else to talk about? Like, does it really piss you off that much? I think it's fake rage. Fake rage. But anyways, the Red Sox lost the game. Uh, it's under protest. But... The fact of the matter is, in, in this three-game series at the Trop, the Red Sox won two of three. And when you look at the standings on this Thursday morning, July 25th, I'm only looking at wild card. The Red Sox are, what, 11 games? In the AL East, they're, they're 11 games behind the Yankees. The Rays are 10 games behind the Yankees. They're not catching the Yankees. All right, let's be realistic and only look at the wild card. The Red Sox are two games, as of this Thursday, July 25th, they're two games out of the second wildcard spot, which is currently Oakland. Oakland has 58 wins. The Red Sox have 56. Uh, the top wildcard is Cleveland. They have 59 wins. They have 59 and 42. The Red Sox, well, we'll just look at Oakland, because you just got to get in that game. Just get in the game. They're still in contention to get in the game. They're only two games behind Oakland. Now, Tampa Bay is smushed in the middle between Oakland and the Red Sox. Tampa Bay's one game behind Oakland for that final wild card spot. Behind the Red Sox are the Angels. Four games behind Oakland. After that, it's Texas. The Rangers, six and a half games out. We don't have to look at them. I don't even think, I mean, I get, all right, we'll take the Angels seriously. Don't worry about Tampa. You're going to play them a couple more times. You know, you got to obviously take care of business. But the number two, two games behind Oakland. If you can split a four-game series with the Yankees, are you selling on the 31st? No. No. Now, if the Red Sox get swept by the Yankees and Oakland... I don't know, wins four straight. And all of a sudden, you find yourself six games out of the wild card. Six or seven games out of the wild card. That would be a complete disaster. I do not think that's going to happen. But let's say it does. That's really the only situation in which the Red Sox should become sellers by the July 31st deadline. Only way. But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Red Sox, I believe, will stay afloat. Uh, they'll be somewhere between two, three games out of the wild card hunt. I think by the time we get to next Wednesday, maybe only a game. And if that's the case, which it will be the case, the Red Sox should not sell. The And and when I say should not sell, what is selling to you? Selling to me is you trade a key piece to your roster for prospects. That's selling. Now, could the Red Sox be in a situation where they sell a key piece of their roster in a trade that maybe gets them better pitching? That's not selling. Or at least it's selling with the purpose of also buying. And 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 ultimately is not straight up selling. Straight up selling is taking a key piece of your roster and trading it for prospects for the future. That's it. That's selling. The Red Sox should not under any circumstances, sell. Well, 
I shouldn't say that. I should say under any realistic circumstances, because the circumstance I gave you was that they get swept by the Yankees, find themselves six or seven games out of the wild card next went by next Wednesday, which would be a drastic fall from grace. But that's not going to happen. That's not realistic. So under no realistic circumstances should the Red Sox be sellers by Wednesday. But, you know, if there's a situation in which maybe they... Look, you got to take into account the contracts of some guys. Like, you got to give Mookie a new contract. You're going to be talking to J.D. Martinez, possibly, if he if he decides to opt out and want a new deal. Um, You know, you took care of Bogots. You took care of Sale. That's good. You got Jackie Bradley Jr. there, too. You know, obviously... The, you're gonna. You'd like to sign Mookie before Jackie Bradley Jr. And you know the problem there is, if you think there's some type of three-team deal that you can get a stud-starting pitcher like I don't know Noah Syndergaard, and maybe even another reliever from another team, and you might have to like if you're telling me that you you have to give up Jackie Bradley Jr. to make something like that happen. I'm just telling you I'm entertaining that. I'm not I'm not closing the door on that from the Red Sox because of the contractual situations that some of these guys are in and that you're in as an organization. You knew you're not going to bring you're not going to resign all these guys in the next couple of years. So you don't want to just lose somebody for nothing in a couple off seasons. So um maybe you make a move right now if it's going to help also improve what needs to really improve with this Red Sox team, which is the pitching staff. The pitching staff. If you told me you could get Syndergaard and a reliever in some type of three-team deal in which you might have to trade Jackie Bradley Jr., I would seriously consider doing that. I would. Um, We're always talking about the Mets, though, aren't we? Well, that's because they suck. And they are 10 games under 500. And Syndergaard's on the block. You know, there was talk about Zach Wheeler at first. Somebody who I've talked about for the last four or five years with regards to the trade deadline stuff in the Red Sox, but he's injured again, and he seems to be an extremely injury-prone guy. And Syndergaard, to me, is just that's that's the guy you should be talking to if you're talking to the Mets. That's the guy, and we'll see. But that would even if you did have to give up someone like Jackie Bradley Jr. in order to get a three-team deal in which you're getting both the starting pitcher and a big-name reliever, you know... That's not selling. That's selling for the purpose of buying, which means it's not straight-up selling, which means ultimately you're just trying to improve the baseball team for now and for the future, and for the future, knowing that you don't want to lose a guy for nothing like a Jackie Bradley Jr. because you're not going to give him the big contract that he wants, which I don't think they're going to do. I don't think they're going to give Jackie Bradley Jr. that contract. So because of that, we always kind of mention him in potential trades and and the Red Sox right now find themselves in a situation where maybe to some outside the organization, they're in limbo because of where they are in the standings. But don't look at the AL East. Just look at the wild card. Get into the wild card game. You're the Red Sox. Don't tell me that shouldn't be just because you won the World Series last year, just because you won a World Series in 2013, just because you won a World Series in 2007 and you won a World Series in 2004. Don't don't tell me that all of a sudden the wild you're too good for the wild card. Please. And I know it's not a wild card series anymore. It's a wild card game. Like there's two wild card teams. You don't just become the wild card anymore and automatically get to be involved in a 
best of five divisional series. You don't get that. You got to win the wild card game. But you still should be doing everything in your power to get into that wild card game. You should. And I won't accept anything else. If the Red Sox sell, if they're two or three games out of the wild card game, I will crucify this fucking team. Like, that is bull. That would be bullshit to me. You cannot do that. You're the Boston fucking Red Sox. Okay? Don't tell me you're all of a sudden too good for the wild card. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. And the way I look at it is, if you think you're going to be in a position where you're selling and you might trade Jackie Bradley Jr. for for prospects, like, well, you know what? You turn those prospects into a three-team deal and you bring somebody in here who can pitch in relief out of the bullpen. Okay? Selling for the purpose of buying. You ne- If you're only two or three games out of the wild card, if you're the Red Sox, if you're Dave Dombrowski, and you just straight up sell for prospects, that is bullshit, and then I will be calling for your head. Because that's telling me that all of a sudden, you're, te- you're telling the city, you're telling all of New England, you're telling the major leagues, the Red Sox are too good for the wild card game. That's what you're saying. And I don't believe they should be. I don't believe they should be. I really don't. So, uh, Red Sox-Yankees, four-game series at Fenway. Porcello-Tanaka tonight on Thursday night. Then you're going to get Kashner versus Paxton on Friday night. And then on Saturday, 4 o'clock first pitch, Eduardo Rodriguez versus CC Sabathia. And then Sunday night baseball on ESPN, Chris Sale. And, you know, Sale, like I said, it's great to see him back. All right, he's back on track. Back on track. Um, he has won his last two starts, and in those last two starts, he's allowed only two runs and has 22 strikeouts over 12 innings. All right. The bad part of of Sale's numbers, if you want to get into the numbers, are against the Yankees this season. Sale is 0-2 with a 6.55 ERA. It's not good, but. Like we said, sales seems to be turning it around. And that's a great thing. And if you really look at the big picture with sale, I guess that was that was the glass half full approach with him. It's like, well, okay, yeah, you did some things differently at the beginning of the season. Maybe he's not dialing it dialing it up as early as he as he usually does because last year at the end of the season the velocity was down. You do it the opposite way. You hope the velocity's down early. And maybe at the end of the season, that's where he, he he dials it up again, reaches back, and he's able to start dominating once late July, early August hits, right? I don't want to say they purposely planned it like this, but when we talked about maybe the glass half full approach with Sale, that's certainly something that came up. The idea that, well, you know what? Maybe he doesn't empty the tank in the first half. Maybe he... You know, maybe maybe there's something going on where he's saving it for the second half. I don't know, but Sale has been very good the last couple starts. He's going to have to turn it around, though, against the Yankees because he's been no good against the Yankees this year. No good against the Yankees this year. And then after the series, the Red Sox will have next Monday off, and they will host Tampa Bay once again in a series, this series at Fenway. So uh, whatever happens over the weekend against the Yankees, I will react on Monday, but I'll close out the show right now reacting to a story that is out there in which Steve Kerr, this is an NBA story, 
the NBA offseason stuff, I think we've seen all that we need to see with regards to moves, signings, trades, right? I think we've seen it all. All the crazy moves that have been made this offseason. You know what sucks about that? Is that next offseason in the NBA is going to be horrible, right? Unless you maybe see a blockbuster trade or two. Like, what si- who's a free agent next year? Who's a free agent next year? I guess Anthony Davis. Did he say he didn't re-sign a contract with the Lakers, right? He will, though. Like, so not, that's not even going to be dramatic. He'll sign with the Lakers. But speaking of Anthony Davis and the Lakers, Golden State Warriors, Steve, Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr is upset with the Anthony Davis trade. He is. He's upset with it. He joined the Warriors Insider Podcast. I don't know. I wish I knew more about this. Uh, oh, NBC. <coughs> Excuse me. NBC, the Warriors Insider Podcast. Steve Kerr does not like the Anthony Davis trade. He says it's bad for the league. And he says that the Davis to Lakers deal is a real problem because there's a trend of players who are not free agents who are now forcing trades to get out of existing contracts. Again, he says Anthony Davis demanding a trade out of New Orleans uh, a year and a half before his contract is up and forcing, basically forcing his way to the Lakers in a trade. He says it's a real problem for the league and it's bad for the league. Here's a quote from Steve Kerr. Tells the Warriors Insider Podcast, quote, I'm talking more about the Anthony Davis situation where a guy is perfectly healthy and has a couple years left on his deal and says, I want to leave. That's a real problem that the league has to address and that the players have to be careful with. Kerr continues, when you sign on that dotted line, you owe your effort and your play to that team, to that city, to the fans. And then it's completely your right to leave as a free agent. But if you sign the contract, then you should be bound to that contract. End quote. <clears throat> End quote. Well, Steve Kerr kind of... See, I think Steve Kerr's a smart dude. I like Steve Kerr. I think he's a very good coach. But he kind of sounds like an idiot here. He does. He kind of sounds like an idiot. Because... He is not thinking of it both ways. Like, you can't have it both ways. So, if I'm the Players Union, the Players Association in the NBA, and I I see this quote, I hear Steve Kerr say this, and again, it's the final part of this that would piss me off if I'm a player, in which Steve Kerr says, when you sign on that dotted line, you owe your effort and your play to that team, to that city, to the fans. And then it's completely your right to leave as a free agent. But if you sign the contract... You should be bound to that contract, end quote. Read that again. He says, if you sign the contract, you should be bound to that contract, end quote. Steve Kerr sounds like an idiot there, and if I'm the Players Union, I'm pissed to hear a coach say that and feel that way. Now, you you know how I feel about the Anthony Davis stuff. I did not want to see him in a Celtics uniform because of the way he demanded the trade. You know, I said that. I said, given the situation the Celtics were in, where they have a star player in Kyrie Irving, who clearly doesn't want to be here, 
why are you going to go out and give up a whole heck of a lot for a guy that quit on his team a year and a half before his contract was up? And really, before he even did anything for that organization. Anthony Davis did nothing for the New Orleans Pelicans. Nothing. Okay? If you play fantasy basketball, if you put in DraftKings lineups in the NBA, Anthony Davis is probably your go-to every night because of the numbers he puts up. But with regards to, from an organizational standpoint, what have you done for me lately? Really, Anthony Davis has done nothing for the team. I mean, just, he didn't lead them to the Western Conference Finals. He didn't take them to the NBA Finals. He didn't even pull in a full effort. He didn't put in a full effort to, to get them there. He didn't. He didn't. And I, I people who try to compare it to Kevin Garnett in Minnesota, I told you completely different. Garnett, you know, was in his was in his thirties. Um, he had gone to the playoffs like eight straight years with Minnesota. Uh, he had spent, you know, his most of his career with that organization. I mean, it's just it's different. It's different. Garnett was blood, sweat, and tears in the Minnesota Timberwolves organization. And then it came time to pot ways so he could go get a championship. Anthony Davis, blood, sweat, and tears for the Pelicans? Eh. Eh. And he just kind of wanted to go to L.A. Like, he, you know, he just kind of wanted to, to, to be in the spotlight in Hollywood. So that whole, his attitude didn't seem right to me. And I didn't want to see the Celtics go out and acquire that type of play, that, that play with that type of attitude. Given the type of all-star player with the attitude that we just saw in Kyrie Irving, I just I didn't want to see the Celtics do it. So, how I felt about Anthony Davis is for the team that I root for, the Celtics, I was all set with them going out and acquiring him. But when I take a step back and I just look at the league and I say, you know, should Anthony Davis not have the right to... Demand a trade? I mean, put it this way. Steve Kerr is basically saying the league needs to do something about this. And that's where I say Steve Kerr sounds like an idiot because you can't possibly do that. Like, as much as the Celtics fan in me didn't want to see the Celtics go after Anthony Davis because I didn't like, you know, I thought it was a bad look for Anthony Davis to quit on his team a year and a half before his contract was up. I still don't think you can do anything about it. You know, if the Lakers want to take on that type of person, then go ahead. Go ahead. That's their right. As much as it's Anthony Davis's right to 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 be that type of person. <laughs> right? To be a person who quits on his team and his organization a year and a half before his contract's up. You want to be that type of guy? You have every right to. Steve Kerr is talking about basically trying to take those rights away from the players. Saying... If you sign the contract, then you should be bound to that contract. If I'm the Players Association, I'm looking at that quote going, hey, Steve, you're an idiot, and that's bullshit, and here's why. You know, let's give you a couple examples. Here's one example. Isaiah Thomas. Okay? You want you talk about you should be bound to that contract? The Celtics traded Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas didn't want to go anywhere. This is a guy who gave blood, sweat, and tears. Under some serious circumstances, he lost his his sister, tragically died. And he's out there playing playoff games, helping the Celtics stay relevant. 
in a time in which, let's be honest, they shouldn't have even been relevant because they were under a rebuild. But Isaiah Thomas helped them stay relevant. And what did the Celtics do? They weren't bound by Isaiah Thomas's contract. They traded his ass to Cleveland for Kyrie Irving. So, if you want to have this conversation, Steve Kerr, about if you sign the contract, you should be bound to that contract. Well, it works two ways. Both sides then need to be bound by the contract. You mean to tell me Steve Kerr is going to come out and say, well, teams can't trade a guy until his contract's up. You want to eliminate trades? Bullshit, he doesn't want to do that. So that's why Steve Kerr sounds like an idiot. He sounds like an idiot. You, there is nothing that the league can do to prevent a guy demanding a trade at any point in time in his contract. There's nothing the league can do. Because the minute as a league you try to do something about that, then you have to also look at it from the other side and say, well, we have to do the same exact thing to teams. And say, well, like for example, if the league didn't like how early Anthony Davis quit on his team, and if they wanted to say you cannot demand a trade or discuss a trade with your GM until your contract year, if they ever came up with a rule like that, which again, they won't be able to, but if they ever did, they would almost certainly have to look at the other side and also add a rule for the teams that say you cannot trade a player until he's in the final year of his contract. It's got to be, it's got to go hand in hand. It's got to be equal across the board. And you know what? That would be stupid for the league. That would be a dumb move for the league. As a league, you're going to say, well, you can't trade a guy unless he's in the final year of his deal. You eliminate all trades. You eliminate 95% of trades. You do. You do. So you can't do that. That's stupid. So Steve Kerr sounds stupid. Sounds like an idiot. Because you're never going to be able to regulate an individual's right to want to play somewhere else. And if you never can regulate that, then you never can regulate an individual's right to demand a trade, whether it be privately or publicly through the media or social media. Like, Steve Kerr, what do you want to do? You want to tell these guys they can't demand a trade until the last year of their contract? Okay. So if you're going to do that, you have to tell the league that they can't trade these same guys. You you talk about players need to be bound by the contract, then guess what? So do the teams. And you can't trade a guy. All right? Chris Paul can't be traded. Can't be traded to Oklahoma City for Russell Westbrook. Can't happen. Chris Paul, if he doesn't want to leave, you can't trade him. Much like you don't want the player to want to leave and demand a trade at any point. So... You can't have it one way and not the other. And and the league, it would be a dumb business decision to start regulating trades. And if you can't regulate trades, the players' union is never going to sign off on the regulation of, of just, I, I don't know, a, a person's and an individual's want or desire. Like, we're going to start, we're really going to start hammering down individuals' desires? Like, oh, you can't desire this. You can't want that. Like, please, please. Steve Kerr, you sound like an idiot. Stop talking about the Anthony Davis trade. It's dumb. It's dumb. Because you can never look at it as a league. You can never say we're going to start regulating when players can be traded within their contracts. 
You can't do it. Trades are trades. And they're exciting. And that's why we have trade deadlines. Because it's exciting. It, it brings attention to the league. Teams that want to win championships and add a player. You know, um, trading draft picks. The lottery. Like, it's exciting. It's publicity for the league. It's good publicity for the league. It's great publicity for the league. Some would argue it's the most exciting time for the league. For certain leagues, trade deadline stuff. Or trade and draft picks on draft night. Like, you're never going to be able to regulate trades, so you can't regulate players' desires and players' demanding trades. You can't do it. Can Can you dislike the fact that Anthony Davis gave up on his team? Yeah, you can dislike that. But you know how the only way you can battle against that, don't trade for him. You don't like a guy's personality? You don't like a, a, a guy's mindset? You don't like a guy's mentality? Then then don't trade for him. That's all you can do. You can only control what your team trades for and what you don't trade for. That's it. The minute you start talking about oh, players need to be bound by the contracts that they signed, you sound like an idiot. And uh I don't think the players' union is going to respond positively to these comments. I really don't. I really don't. Because they, they're never going to be able to regulate that, ever. If they do, they have to regulate trades. If they regulate trades, they ruin trades, they ruin trade deadlines, it's bad for business. NBA is not going to do that. So we might as well stop talking about the Anthony Davis trade because he's a Laker, and now he's going to remain a Laker, and uh, it's over, and Steve Kerr sounds like an idiot. And that's the show for you. Get this show whenever you want at Podcast One. Also on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, Subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Keep an eye on those UFOs over the weekend. Uh, Whatever happens at training camp or in this Red Sox-Yankees series or anything else in the world of sports, I will be back on Monday to react to it. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I am out. Talk to you next week.